Welcome to the Women Wiccan Podcast, a holistic guide to wellness and abundant self-love, where we navigate healing relationships, building self-confidence and unconditional self-love and acceptance for an abundant life. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. And so it's what's fascinating to me. It's not really a, a universal experience that, that us humans are self-deprecating. It's really more cultural. And I have a handful of hypotheses about this. Our neurobiology, every aspect of our being is doing everything it can to stay safe and stay alive. But we don't really realize why is that we're equally trying to stay safe socially in order to heal the world. You must start with yourself. And what does that mean? You have to know that you're whole and complete. On this episode, I welcome my vivacious guest, Amy Wong. Amy is an executive leadership coach. She's an author of the book, Living on Purpose, and she's the founder of Always on Purpose, where she devotes herself to the practice of transformation and helping others to achieve transformation in their lives. Amy helps others to make deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy to move past the fear of rejection and find inner peace. On this episode, we get deep into how we have come to develop core false beliefs about ourselves, mostly related and tied to early life rejection and how we can overcome that and really step into our knowingness that we are whole, complete and perfect and step into our power and unconditional love for ourselves. So take a listen to this powerful conversation and enjoy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm excited to dive in. Me too. Me too. I'm excited to get into it. Amy, you and I spoke a few months ago and we had a beautiful conversation. We were clearly very aligned and had a lot in common in terms of our beliefs and views and our sort of mission in the work that we do. And Amy, you're an executive leadership coach and you're an author and you're the founder of Always on Purpose. So you have a very unique position where you are integrating some more spiritual self-empowering concepts with the business world and just with people in general who are looking to tap into their true potential. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That is right. And it's funny. I don't know if my clients would say I bring in the spiritual. <laughs> I don't know if they know that. They don't know it. That's right. They don't know it. You want like spring it in and they're and yeah. don't realize it's they don't really know it's happening exactly <laughs> you got to do it because what is spiritual other than recognizing your own essence and yeah. your abilities and your own power and bringing it yeah. forth to me that's yeah. what spirituality is and so many of us feel that we can't do that or that we don't have those things to bring forward that's right that's right mm-hmm. so amy i'd love to hear from you about the snapshot and overview of what is your work and how do you do this? How do you help people to really see how to make changes, how to really open themselves to rather than being self-defeating, to be self-empowering and really stepping into their abilities? Yeah. Yeah. So I... It's funny, I've been doing this work before I even knew I was a coach. <laughs> you know, like most of us coaches end up find, discovering that story about ourselves. But I found it always on purpose in 2011. So it's been about 12 years now that I've 
been doing this and really what I'm just so dedicated to doing what I focus on is really empowering others and going right to the heart of what you said. We all have a tremendous amount of potential and we all are incredibly gifted. We are, it's, we are whole and complete at the core. And yet so many of us, if not every one of us is riddled with a ton of fear and false belief about what's actually true about ourselves. And we hold ourselves back from truly living the life that we were born to live. And it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking as you look around and see people, there's so many individuals out there silently suffering. And one of the big reasons I wrote my book was because I've been working with many, many, many people over the past decade and I mean, truly tr thousands and it, it, span, it runs the gamut of folks, whether it's newly graduated college students to lawyers, to doctors, to single moms, to athletes, to celebrities, to, I mean, it runs the gamut. And there was a period of time, one of the best periods of my coaching trajectory, I did group coaching for a drug and rehab center in Sacramento. And it, man, what a, what an amazing, beautiful experience that was. And anyway, the, the net of it here is that in all of the folks that I had worked with, seeing universal themes and how it is that we hold ourselves back. And it doesn't matter if you're just starting out in your career or if you have, if you're a billionaire and you own multiple companies in your own jet, it all is pretty much the same. And so I've just, I have a deep, deep, deep sense of purpose of helping wake people up to the truth so that they can harness that possibility and that potential and truly live into joy. And my deeper belief is that when we do that, the world becomes a better place. This is raising the vibration of consciousness. So that's where it gets a little spiritual is when I say something like that, right? <laughs> and so that's really what this is all about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think about that a lot as well. And I think that in general, there's a shift happening mm -hmm. in our world where people are getting tired of feeling like they have to be contained in a certain yeah. way, that they yeah. can't express themselves authentically, fully step into their power and it really enjoy life and feel good about what they're offering and bringing to life, right? Mm -hmm. I completely relate. I talk about this a lot with my team, with colleagues, with my soul sisters. I mean, there's definitely a shift happening in, in humanity. And it's, and what I find so fascinating is that this plane of existence that we're on, this that we're experiencing, this universe, this reality that we live, it's really predicated on the principle of duality, right? Because you can't have this without that. You can't have up without down. You can't have birth without death. You can't you can have joy without sadness. So there is duality is necessary for existence to even be here. And so what I'm, I kind of, I, I marvel at, I'm in awe at, I'm just in wide-eyed about is that it's just, you could see the polarity of what's happening. We've got just so much strife and turmoil and challenge and distress on the one hand that it's just, it's, it's baffling. And then on the other hand, we're having this incredible awakening from folks. And so I just feel like, again, that balance of the universe that yes, there's a shift happening and you can see it by just, you look around and there's this massive extreme of polarity of experience that all of us are living. Yes. Yes. And I think it's not a coincidence that there's many of us like you and I and others who are feeling this pull to aid in this 
you can call it a blossoming, a metamorphosis, a transformation that's occurring. Because the visual I got when you were speaking was that of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And you can't stop that process. I believe that the change that's happening is inevitable. Humans are meant to be fully expressed. And we live right now in this state where people more so reject themselves rather than accept themselves, right? Mm-hmm. People are way more likely to feel very self-deprecating, yeah. a lack of confidence, a lack of esteem. You know, low self-esteem is essentially an epidemic. Mm-hmm. It back, it keeps people down. I think, I believe that's why we have such high rates of addiction and suicide. We, right. For some reason, we've come to our sort of baseline is to just be very down on ourselves and not yeah. And how we got here is a big question. I think it has a lot to do with competition and people feeling like, well, if I'm going to be big, I have to make other people small. And it became this pattern of telling people, well, you're not that great at this. You're not good. Leading with criticism rather than elation, right? Yeah, I'm with you. And I actually think that's all still very effectual to what's really going on. A big focus in my work actually is looking at the origin of why this is true. Why is it the case that all of us are self-deprecating? Most of us are self-deprecating. And it's even more interesting. Why is it more prevalent in the U.S. than it is in, say, Norway, right? And, or in, in some of the European countries. It's fascinating. And, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but um, there was an interview with the Dalai Lama. This was, I can't remember how long ago it was. And the interviewer was asking about, gosh, well, the, the problem with self-esteem and all of us have such a hard time understanding with our self-esteem. And the Dalai Lama was like, what? This does not compute. And so it's what's fascinating to me. It's not really a, a universal experience that us humans are self-deprecating. It's really more cultural. And I have a handful of hypotheses about this, but I think at the core of it, and I'm going to go right to the heart of why is it, how is it that we hold ourselves back? And when I was in, let's see, this was 2014, 2015, I was getting certified in conversational intelligence, which is the neuroscience of communication and trust. And I, and so a big focus of my, of, in my practice is all things communication, whether that's executive presence, public speaking, interaction dynamics, trust. And the reason it's so juicy to me is because it's, this is, this is where everything happens in this medium of communication. Nothing's happened in a vacuum. It's all happening here. So if we can get this right, we really can thrive. But this thing called communication really is a symptom. How we show up in communication is symptomatic of the relationship we have with ourselves and this deeper perceptual stuff. So it's all related. But when I was getting certified and understanding the ins and outs of trust, When I learned truly what rejection, the role of rejection and the role that rejection plays in a human experience, I was floored. I was absolutely floored. So check this out, Whitney. When when a human is born, it's born survival brain dominant, right? So underdeveloped neurologically. And in order to fit through the birth canal, a human is also incredibly tiny and, and just helpless. And so we know this about an infant. We know that it's helpless and we know that it's underdeveloped. And so we, yes, we get that. But what we don't take all the way is, well, think about what death to the brain means the moment you're born, right? We've been taught that it's food, water, shelter. Like if we don't have food, water, shelter, we're going to die. Environmental, those sorts of needs, we need to get those met. Yeah, yeah, we get need to get those met. But really at the end of the day, death to the human brain is rejection. And this is so fundamental to our neurobiology, every aspect of our being 
is doing everything it can to stay safe and stay alive. Now, we tend to just think of that from an environmental standpoint. Okay, stay alive from physical, environmental threats. Yes, okay, I got to stay safe. But what we may know, but we don't really realize why, is that we're equally trying to stay safe socially. Because the brain can't differentiate between environmental threats, so say a tiger jumping out of a bush, or and your boss throwing you under the bus in a meeting. Environmental threats and social threats are one in the same to the brain. And the reason I start here is because when it comes to holding ourselves back, and when it comes to staying small, because really, what is it? It's staying small. It's not realizing our potential. It's not putting ourselves out there. The, what it all boils down to is this deep, primal fear of rejection. And when you really think about it, it's like, okay, yeah, all right. But we have to like, well, what is rejection? Rejection isn't just that overt, big, fat, no. Hey, I want to take you out for dinner. No. I mean, yeah, that's rejection. But it's not, it's, it's not as overt as that. It's more subtle. It's judgment. Mm-hmm. It's humiliation. It's it, all of these things. Now, that blanket term, oh, I'm afraid of failure. Oh, that's why I don't put myself out there. I'm afraid of failure. Oh, that's what it is. I'm afraid of failure. I'm like, okay, yeah, but take it farther. It's not just failure. Failure is disinformation. It's just stuff. It's what you make it mean about you. Because guess what? If you fail in this model of fearing rejection, if you fail, you'll be seen, quote unquote, you'll be seen unfavorably, right? And if I'm seen unfavorably, then I'm not part of the group. If I'm not part of the group, that's not being included, which is like rejection, which is like death to the brain. And last thing I'll share, because this is so, folks love to learn this. They just think this is such a kick. Rejection registers in a certain part of the brain where physical pain is registered. So it literally registers as physical pain. And that's why we talk about it the way that we do. Like, oh God, that hurts so much. And my heart was broken or I didn't get the job. I'm crushed. And so we, the way we talk about it, it's very indicative that yes, it's like physical pain. But here's the fun, fun fact. If any of y'all are dealing with any kind of rejection, you can take a Tylenol <laughs> and it absolutely helps. It targets the same place and it helps. And so all of this, is really when it all boils down to, this is the reason we form our false limiting beliefs, rejection. And this is the reason we hold ourselves back. It's just this primal fear. No. Yeah. yeah, and you're absolutely right. It is, it's a integral human need to be accepted by our fellow humans, by our peers, by those around us. I work a lot around bullying and so many studies are coming out now just showing the absolutely detrimental effects of bullying on children or really anybody, but especially children, because at a young age, the approval and acceptance by our peers is just as you said, it's integral to our understanding and feelings about ourselves. We process it the same we would as, like you said, physical pain and abuse. When you're basically said you are not good enough or you're shunned by your peers, it's this fundamental understanding that, oh, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And from there, it's constantly questioning, am I, is it okay to do this? Yeah. Am I good enough? Am I okay? Am I safe? Mm-hmm. It's, a, again, right. a big human need that when it's denied has long lasting repercussions. Oh, yeah. It's, and the tragedy is that when it happens in those young years, when the brain is developing, it has truly disastrous effects in the long term. Yeah, it does. And I think that that's the crux of a lot of people's inability to 
really feel safe and confident in stepping forward and taking risks and really being able to reach the heights that they're meant for, really shine and and reach greatness in their own way, right? Not also the the issue that it, then it becomes, well, I can't be me, so I'm going to jump on this train, right? This person got gets accolades and it's very impressive because they did this. Well, I'm just going to follow in their footsteps right behind them. So I'm not taking a risk, but I can at least try and get, you know, but rather than, I just believe that another change that's happening in the world is there are so many paths that have not been forged, right? There are many, many trails that are left to be blazed in terms of what we can do with our lives for our livelihood, but people don't feel ready to step out. They don't feel safe to step out authentically or in a new way. Yeah. And I think it is because a lot of that rejection, and I think it is cultural, that I think there are some cultures that are much more based around embracing one another and allowing each other to see that they are accepted and they are safe and they are part of a whole. But when it's too individualized, often you have individuals who are born to parents who maybe aren't very confident about being parents, or maybe they're really scared. And there's a lot, and, but all those that child has is that immediate influence. So they're kind of born into this idea of like, oh, am I, am I embraced here? Am I loved here? Am I safe here? And from there, it's constantly trying to take steps that allow us to feel that safety. You're absolutely right. I mean, and just to really, to make it simple, it just for anyone that really wants to get to the heart of how it is that they're holding themselves back, just examine like what, how, how this really does map to this fear of judgment, fear of rejection. Yeah. And, and just looking at that, I, what I've found with a lot of clients is just, just illuminating this very real neurobiological fact can mm-hmm. start to create some shifts where it's like, oh, okay. That's where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's speak to that a bit. When you're working with people and you're really trying to champion them and be like, listen, you can, cause you talk about making deliberate choices to realize your fulfillment and joy. So yeah. I will say I had this experience. I think a lot of us do that sometimes when we're really stuck in that place of like, I just can't, I can't do it. Not me. It feels like you're kind of stuck in mud. It's really hard to lift yourself up. But sometimes people are ready and they say, okay, I think I can do this. I think I'm ready to take action. And I imagine that's often when you're speaking or working with people is when they're like, I don't know how I can do it, but I think I'm ready to try. So when you say deliberate choices, what do you mean by that? What are things that people can do when they're like, I want to change. I want to make a shift. I want to move away from self-doubt and questioning myself. And I want to move into feeling more sure and assertive about what I'm doing. Yeah. So fundamentally, it really, uh, it really comes down to this word choice. And you called it out. The subtitle of my book is Five Deliberate Choices to Realize Fulfillment and Joy. The book itself is called Living on Purpose. And really, it's a roadmap to free ourselves to live who le- truly who we are without that burden of false perception. Now, why is why you deliberate choice choice? Why is this so important? Well, when it comes down to it, it really all is about choice. Choice is our superpower. And we have the ability to choose. And we kind of get that. And a lot of us will do what we can to harness choice so that we live a good life. But what typically happens is that people stop at harnessing choice at the level of action. And this is where, okay, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to choose this instead of that. I'm going to hire this trainer. I'm going to start this routine. I'm going to. And so what happens is we start to 
And we attempt to initiate behavior change via harnessing choice at the level of action. What actions do I, how do I choose to show up differently and act differently, to speak differently? And I say all of that is very important, but it doesn't get to the root of real transformation. And if we want to get to the root of real transformation, then I want to talk about choice at the level of perception. And so I say deliberate choice because it has to be super clear that what you're choosing is absolutely, in, it is serving you. And choice at the level of perception is that's where shift starts to happen. How we choose to see something, how we choose to interpret the stuff of, because right now there's just, there's the stuff of life and there's, that's just stuff. It doesn't mean anything. It, but what you make it mean is going to determine your entire reality and you get to choose that interpretation. Interpret the meaning is not born into the system. The stuff of life is just the stuff. You get to choose your interpretation. And so how do you harness that choice at the level of perception? And so if we want to free ourselves to feel more joy, to feel purpose, to feel meaning and to feel fulfilled, we have to start to wind back this, our perceptual ability and be like, okay, well, how is it that I choose to view life, how this works, who I am? How, and how I'm supposed to go about this thing called life. And in living on purpose, there are five fundamental choices. And I present them in an order that actually kind of makes sense. They're actually quite nonlinear. You can choose any one you want, but they do work in this lovely order. But how we choose to perceive and how we choose to believe is, is it, that's, it's everything. It's really everything. So how can we monitor that on a day-to-day -day basis? Let's say we're used to constantly thinking like, oh, well, of course this didn't work out. And well, I shouldn't even try this because of what can we do on a day-to-day -day basis to shift that, to move yeah. out of family? Well, there's a couple of fundamental things that we kind of have to talk about here in order to set the stage for this. Everything that you want, everything you think you want, and this is for every human, everything, every goal that you set, every aspiration that you hold, we, we kind of stop at the thing. Like, oh, there's my goal. I want to make this amount of money. I want to retire. I want to do this. I want that house. I want, and we have these goals and desires. What we tend to not realize is that everything we want, it's not for the thing. We actually, we want it because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. So at the end of every desire, it's really a desired feeling state. It's really not the thing. And we're using the thing as a proxy to get to that desired feeling state, but we're not taught this. We don't focus on this. And so we don't, know to bring that into the equation. And so all of us are trained to stop at the thing. So then we go forth, we go and we chase all the things we think we want. We end up having it, we get it. And we're like, why do I feel so empty? So a lot of my clients, and the reason I work with a lot of leaders is because I'll have a lot of folks that have really decent lives on paper. And then they wonder why they're so hollow. Why are they so miserable? It's like, oh, it must be, I need another promotion. Oh, I must need more money. I must meet this or that. It's like, no, it's because you're following a faulty map. And so we have to bring this idea of feeling into the equation because not feeling from a woo-woo like feeling can be talked about, but this very real reality that all of us are after a feeling state. Now, hands down, all of us just want to feel good. There's not a human out there that doesn't want to feel good. That is the directive of a human being is I want to feel good. I'd much rather feel good than bad. And so to answer your question around how do we engage in this journey of living on purpose? Well, it first starts with caring way more about how you feel because how you feel is telling you how you're doing. And if you're feeling great, keep going. If you're feeling empowered and buzzy 
centered and grounded and, and empowered and clear and that they keep going. But it's the moment you're not feeling that, that that's usually a cue. Okay, I'm, something's going on in the way in which I am operating here that's causing me to feel this way. Huh. And then it's a prompt to get a little curious. And so caring way more about how you feel and then just deciding that you're intolerant of feeling crappy. That's a big one. You know, and by the way, I am a huge, huge proponent of like our feelings are such beautiful indicators and I'm not demonizing negative emotion. In fact, it's, we need all the emotions. That's what makes us a human. And there is so much beauty and information in every emotion that we feel. So having this amazing relationship to the emotions that do arise with us, a, a graceful relationship, that's a huge part of living on purpose. It's to really go forth is to be in relationship with your feelings. And then at some point realizing, huh, keep feeling pretty disappointed. Keep feeling pretty frustrated. Huh, okay, I'm kind of tired of this. What do I need to shift in how I'm looking at this or how I'm framing this or what I'm believing, what I'm interpreting so that I can break free from this cycle? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I would say that this is also another wave of the future, if you will, and that because what you're basically describing is spirituality again. It's humans recognizing when they reach the state where they've achieved and achieved so much to a material degree, but still feel empty. What is that? Yeah. That we're not honoring or connected with whatever you want to call it, but I would call it your soul, your true essence. And which is just as you said, some people say that feelings are the expression of the soul. So therefore, when we're not doing something that truly feeds our essence, not just because material is nothing. At the end of the day, it's nothing, but it, it's the feeling that we get, just as you're describing, do things that make you happy, that bring you joy, because that's what we, and that's what we're always ever seeking is just something that elicits a feeling. Even people, whether you become successful in a small business or a billionaire, they're both seeking the same thing, which is just inner contentment. But we all, but the unfortunate part of our world now is that always we're very fixated on what we can see. So we say that the person who's a billionaire is much more higher up and successful than the person who's content having a small business. You know, so I guess what I'm getting at is that just as you described, all humans are the same and that we're seeking a feeling. That's it. We're not actually seeking billions of dollars. We're not actually seeking fame and fortune. All, and it's the same reason that people turn to drugs because then you get a feeling or it feels like a feeling. It's really, it's when you get a, res, a reaction from a drug, it's synthetic, right? It's not authentic. Yeah. Why we get stuck in a cycle because it can only last so long. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, this is a whole No, other no, no. This is, it's actually, it's, this is so important because when we actually don't have to, I mean, we could talk it in a spiritual front lens, which I love doing, and we could actually make it not spiritual because my theory, and I would actually say I'd take it so far as a theory and beyond hypothesis, is that really what we're seeking, that feeling is that feeling of knowing of, that we are whole and complete. That's what we are craving is a that sense of relationship with self in which we know ourselves to be whole and complete, which truly is the definition of self-love. And self-love can sound so cliche for folks. It's like, oh, you got to love yourself. That's everything. And it's like, we hear that and we kind of get that, but we don't really know what, why and what that means. And so what we're after, the, all of that striving and, and we place it in the stuff really comes down to this relationship with self in which we know ourselves to be whole and complete. And that, that is everything. And back to the drug things, like when we're missing that so severely, 
substances have a very powerful way of substituting that feeling of comfort that our heart is just craving to have and to hold innately. What breaks my heart, Whitney, is that so many people become convinced that they genuinely are of lack, that they are broken, and that they are inadequate because of their life experiences, because of their histories, because of decisions they've made. And when I'm, I honestly, I'm on a mission to help people, to help humanity know you are inherently whole and complete. What you're struggling with is a false negative belief that you took on in order to make sense of really early childhood rejection that you experienced that was most likely benign, but for your childhood, little underdeveloped brain couldn't make sense of the complexity of life and therefore took this very threat, very, very intense experience of feeling rejected, whether it's, it was as awful as bullying, as you were talking about, or as benign as mom bringing home little brother from the hospital and didn't read you a bedtime story that night. Like we experience these things as children. It's like, oh my gosh. And the brain can't differentiate between that and a tiger lunging at you. And so the brain's like, oh gosh, got to protect you from this. <gasps> this is horrible. Oh my gosh, you're going to die. Wait, great. Thank good. Just God, you didn't die. Okay. But I got to make sure this doesn't happen again. So in order to make sure this doesn't happen again, I got to protect you. Got to know why this happened. Oh boy. Must be because you're not good enough. Boom. And the moment you make sense of that rejection, really what that is, is you're solidifying a false belief about yourself to make sense of that pain. And that's where the birth of false beliefs come from. And then we're running from those for the rest of our lives. And it's not truth, but we've lived it for so long. By the time we get to our mid 30s, 40s, 50s, it feels so true and that we're convinced that we're broken. Well, no, it's just because you have all these neural networks that have been created in support of this narrative you've been telling. But you're not, you're inherently whole and complete. And so that, if, if I were to be very honest, that really is what I'm, I swear I'm here to do on this plane of existence is to help people know that. Doing it and, and think that it's, there's an emphasis in that for you for a reason. Because again, I think that that's what, you know, I think humanity as a species is looking to evolve towards. We're ready to mature. Yeah. I think as sort of the species is like the macro to the individual, we're all looking to evolve as a person in each lifetime. We're looking to grow. We're looking to gain greater understanding, greater knowledge. Well, the human species is fairly young. And I think we're ready to start evolving to a place where we can know our inherent worth. I think as we spoke of earlier, we're ready. I think collectively yeah. all so tired. We're oh. frustrated of feeling down on ourselves and not knowing because also, like, imagine how great our world can be if people know their whole complete perfectness and mm -hmm. let it know the things that we can do, but with greater oh. joy. Well, and it's not even just, I mean, yes, 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 yes. And what gets me just fills me with, with just so much love and joy is the thought that when you know your wholeness and completeness, essentially what happens is when you know that to be true, when you look out to the world, all you can see is everybody else's wholeness and completeness. Now, does that excuse their craziness, their, their survival mechanisms and all that stuff that makes you, drives you nuts? No, but you see it for what it is. And so what, what ends up happening is that when we begin to truly know our wholeness and completeness, that is when the world becomes more compassion. And there is way more empathy. There is way more connection because, and, and the judging goes away. Right. And this is really, truly when the world begins to heal. And so there is 
it is absolute truth to say that in order to heal the world, you must start with yourself. And what does that mean? You have to know that you're whole and complete. And what is so exciting and so exhilarating and also so maddening for people is that it's like, okay, well, how do I know that I'm whole and complete? And I'm like, well, here it is. You just have to know it. They're like, well, how do, well, no, no, I need to prove it. And I'm like, well, here's the bigger story. The moment you need to prove it, you're actually solidifying your beliefs because proving comes out of the whole thing about beliefs. And so that's a whole big other conversation that I absolutely break down in my, my book. It's so much fun. But the, the teaser here is it is the easiest thing you'll ever do to just choose to know that you're whole and complete. But it might be the hardest thing because it's not like anything you've done mostly all your life. And so it's not like a muscle, but it's really easy to access once you decide to access it. Yes. Ah, oh my gosh. Okay. So like 15 things I want to elaborate on that you just said. The first that's more most forefront is the idea of, just as you said, that is the second we feel that we need to prove or disprove anything, we are denying that innate wholeness. When you know it, there's, there is nothing to prove. And there is, right. we just, right. it is. And again, I think that's what we're moving closer to, which just as you said, that's what I always say is the most ironic thing is that we act like, well, I can't do that. I can't just know it. That's our resting state. I think that's our true nature is to just know. Yeah. Our, yeah. You know that we oh, don't yeah. need to do a damn thing to prove it or to show it. Right. We don't need anyone else to tell us. Because again, going back to the feeling thing, I often use the example that when we're looking for someone's approval, we only want their approval so we get our approval. That's right. Because it's because we haven't, because we're not knowing it ourselves. It's because we, yeah, no, it's right. We're like, okay, if you say I'm good enough, then okay, then it opens up that piece of me that says, but that only lasts as long as that compliment, right? Someone's like, wow, you did a great job. You're really great. And you're like, oh my God, I'm great. And then someone else is just like, oh, okay, whatever. And you're like, oh no, I lost yep. it. I lost that. You know? Yeah, that's right. You learn that that feeling is there all the time. It's sort of like cracking the code. Yeah. We play this game of life as if we need constant validation approval outside of ourselves. But the day the world changes is when the majority of us realize it's an inside job. We never. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this I I tend to talk about this as the difference between living conditionally and living unconditionally. And we are trapped when we, and most of us are, when we're in that proving paradigm, when we need to prove our sense of self because we don't know our own wholeness, we're stuck in a proving paradigm. And then when we're in that proving paradigm, then our entire sense of self and our entire quality of life becomes conditional. And the trap with that is that you will never, ever, ever be free because you'll never, ever, 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 ever be able to arrange the conditions around in just such a way to feel that sense of wholeness because it's never going to be out there. And really what it truly means to be on purpose, to be always on purpose, to live on purpose is to live into that art of living unconditionally, to be unconditional about your sense of self. And that's genuine freedom that inevitably leads to incredible lasting joy and deep fulfillment. Yes, completely. I just did a solo episode a while ago about unconditional versus conditional because I think that's what it all comes down to. And the on that shift that will make the biggest difference, right? Yeah. And think that another thing I offer to people, because and I'm sure you see this, is you're like, well, you just need to know for yourself. And they're like, what? But no, like, don't, you can't tell me that making a bunch of money won't make me feel better. Or you can't tell me that being more attractive doesn't make life easier, whatever it is. And I like offer that, you know, those are the icing on the cake. 
If you feel whole and complete and you can achieve something that you feel good about, great. If you feel good about the way you look, awesome. But if those are determinants about whether you can accept yourself or not, then you're living in conditionality, just as you described, right? They're no longer just a nice little accoutrement to your life. They become the basis, the the substance of your life. Yeah. That's That's what keeps us just, just as you described, when we're living conditionally, we live in chain. And the beauty of unconditionality is you free yourself. You're not That's in right. That's right. Brains. That's right. And I think it's important to point out that this is absolutely true. And in order to really, for this, for this conversation to really be relevant and meaningful, I mean, it is a truth that like we do have to have very, very, very basic needs met in order to be considering these things, right? And so like, it is true that we, we need the condition of, ensuring that there is food and that we have shelter and those sorts of things. So um, yeah, we do need those things in order to be out of a survival state to consider what it might be like to know oneself unconditionally. But the, the ability to thrive really is in the art of being unconditional when, with regards to your relationship with self. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, just as you said, we do live in a duality reality so that mm-hmm. we need warmth to stay alive. We need to keep cool when it's too hot. We need shelter. All these things are real for us right now, but that's the human connection. Yep. We need human connection. We need other humans. That's right. Yeah. But unconditional is more about, it's, I use example of having like something within you that's eternal and unchanging, just as you said, that's perfect and all complete all the time. And all conditions around you can change, right? You have a job, you don't have a job. You're married, you don't have a relationship. You, you're doing well work, you're failing. Everything can, can change, but it's about keeping that unconditionality without any that says those things, it doesn't matter whether it's up or down, I still know who I am. And I still know that I am okay just as I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pretty miserable existence when you live on that roller coaster of, oh, well, this person broke up with me, so I hate myself. And I oh, don't yeah. have, feel good about myself. Okay, yeah. well, now this, these people want me. This job wants me, so I feel elated. But okay, now I'm old news and I feel bad. It's exhausting. It's a thrill ride, though. I will say that. And that oh, yeah. The bringing oh, me yeah. into the idea of addiction where we are. I think the other thing we struggle with is that we are all addicts in a way. We all yeah. have eyes and love. We, we all yeah. love the conditionality, right? Because oh, yeah. conditionality is it's like, ooh, I'm important. I'm special because I'm this. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, the neurochemistry of the highs and lows is super sticky. <laughs> Those dopamine surges, woo, want to go back and get that again. Yeah, absolutely. And I talk about this a lot. It's funny that you're using these terms because in the book, I, I call it the roller coaster of conditions. It's the, and it's the unwinnable quest, right? When we're on this roller coaster, constantly seeking the next set of conditions that will actually get us free. And that's the false thinking because there's no set of conditions that will get you there. And yeah, the ride is fun. Oh my gosh, it's fun. But boy, is it fleeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, know I keep saying this, but then I, get, I, feel, I feel like the change that's happening is that we're getting closer to being sick and tired enough to make a change. And to me, that's the same comparison as when someone's a drug addict and they've gone through the cycle of addiction over and over until yeah. they finally say, I think I'm done. Yeah. It's yeah. I, it's exhilarating. It can be fun, but it's so miserable and it costs me so much. I think I'm finally done. But the thing is, just with drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever you are in, it's you're not done until you're really done. It takes what it takes until you really decide, I want to make a change. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that's when people can really switch to unconditionality is when they say, I just can't do this anymore. I don't to only love myself when conditions are agreeable. Yeah. And I have had many of these conversations and I map it to this. It's when your heart knows that you're done and chooses that you're done versus your head choosing that, that you're done. And that's, and to find, and to, and, and that journey of overcoming addiction and in this conversation, I agree. It's relevant to every human on the planet. It's we all we all develop these addictions in order to numb, to control, and to sedate the discomfort that we experience within us due to often it's this relationship we have with ourselves that we're not really minding. And it's 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 so important. And we overcome our addictions though when our heart chooses that we're done. And that's a journey that only that we alone can embark. And so, uh, and that's a sacred, that now here, now here's where I found spiritual. That's a super sacred journey. Yeah. And it's, and it comes in its own good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. I, I would venture to say that it, that's when you're at a soul level or we can call it a heart level. It's when you're really going deep and you're saying, I think it's time. I think it's yeah. time to take that next step and to be more aligned with love than with fear. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a very sacred, sacred thing. Yeah. But fortunately, we're moving more into that. And that's exciting. Right. Yeah. We're moving from the seductive excitement of look what we can achieve materially. Look what humans can do. And we're saying, yeah, but what has it gotten us? And that's why it's so important to look back. Right. To look at history. You said that you look at like patterns and themes in, in the past and how we got here. And mm-hmm. you look at that, you realize we thought something. We thought that these things could bring us happiness. And now we're realizing <laughs> things like Instagram and <laughs> TikTok. Oh, we think that that stuff can bring us happiness. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, goodness. That's all other conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of described. It's, it's the journey from your head to your heart. It's saying not what I think, but what I actually feel. Yeah. That's there's Gary Zukov has a book called The Seed of oh, the yeah. I'm familiar. Yep. I read it. Gosh, in high school. <laughs> I remember that book. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's an old one. <laughs> um, and he says, he says, the longest journey you'll ever take is from your head to your heart. And it is because it is kind of laying down your sword and saying, I can't fight this battle through my mind. I have to feel because we avoid feeling. Feeling is scary. Feeling feels is vulnerable. The head feels directive. It feels like I can prove it again. It's the proving part, right? When you're in your heart, you're not forcing or avoiding yeah. you have to sit with it people yeah. tend to want to sit with things so yeah. yeah thoughts about that one too it's all how, and how we're raised you know yeah i feel like we could have a few episodes amy and <laughs> if we kind of wrap up amy i would love to end yeah. there's two words that you say that i love and i'm feeling it right now in my own life and work is bold and fearless it's that yes. thing you know because for people like us where we're like i feel like i recognize my work it's a little yeah. bit that's like cutting edge, right? Like new ideas about how we can approach our ourselves and our lives and how we can put ourselves out there. But there is that reluctance to go yeah. beyond our comfort zone, right? Yeah. yeah. Inspire people to step into that boldness. This is what my heart's saying. So I'm going to release my thoughts, what's in my head and just move with that. Yeah. Well, the short answer is it really does map back to everything we're talking about here. And it ha- the moment you know you're whole and complete, then you know that nothing could be taken from you and there is nothing that's threatening. And so therefore you don't have to hold yourself back. And so when you know yourself is whole and complete, 
you just inevitably become bold. And then fearless, it, that, that's a bit of a corollary too, because when you recognize that nothing can be taken from you and that ultimately the biggest fear that we have is this fear of rejection. And when you see that very, very clearly and recognize, wait, but the, but really hear what I'm, okay. And if, if that, if I look around like, okay, but I'm not really going to die if I get judged. Hmm, and I look at this really clearly then I actually don't even need to work. I don't even need to be afraid anymore. And so to become bold and fearless is a bit of a journey. And that's why I mapped out those five deliberate choices in the way that I did with living on purpose, because it's that being bold and fearless is the inevitable result when you live into these five deliberate choices, these perceptual shifts. And at the core, it if there was one thing to talk about, it is this relationship with self. Yeah, definitely. That is so perfect, Amy. Thank you. Would you mind stating the full five? Yeah, yeah. So the first choice, feel it out. Don't figure it out. Second choice, there is no way things should be. Third choice, it's always working out for you. Fourth choice, you are already whole and complete. And the fifth choice is to know, don't believe your worth. Gorgeous. So all of the book itself, it's a lot of research and a lot of, but it builds up to understand exactly what I'm talking about and why you could, why it's a possibility to take these on if you choose to. Because guess what? It's a choice. Is Are these truths? No, but they're choices. And if you choose them, definitely will unlock your ability to thrive. Get some good results. Get some yeah. Good results. I that's right. Got a chance to read your book. So I'm going to have to now because I'm all pumped up. <laughs> oh, I would love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy, for all of this, for being on the show, for what you shared. I'd love to have you back because I feel like we're super aligned and could have way more conversations around all of these. There's a lot of little beautiful gems that could be elaborated on. But if people want to find you, if they want to connect, yeah. what's the best way to do that? Yeah, best way is to go to my website, which is alwaysonpurpose.com. I have a lot of resources there. And you can sign up for my text community where you get inspiration and updates and all these, all this fun stuff. Uh, and then I'm on LinkedIn primarily just because of the nature of my work. And my handle is Amy Elisa Wong. And I'm on Instagram. I have an Instagram account. I really don't use it. You can follow me if you want, but I, I'm not, I'm not super great about posting, but I do have an account. So again, okay. that also is Amy Elisa <laughs> Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. It was so wonderful to have you. Thank you. I look forward to being in touch. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Don't forget to let your light shine and to keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.